Welcome to Energy News Bulletin's Energy in Focus, Australasia's most listened to oil and gas and renewables podcast. I'm Paul Hunt. In this episode, we consider a truly extraordinary project in the northwest of Western Australia. It's called the Vahala Project, and it could be a game changer for the international oil and gas sector. The developer of the project is a company called Black Mountain Energy, and it wants the upstream gas project to be the first in the world without carbon emissions. Vahala is situated in the Canning Basin, a relatively underexplored oil and gas play in Australia, but one with massive potential, both for the economy and in securing energy supply. I'm joined by Black Mountain Chief Executive Rhett Bennett and Chief Operating Officer Ashley Zumwalt Forbes. Let's start, if we can, um, Rhett, with who Black Mountain Energy is. Um, the company is based in the US, so for those of us here in Australia, Tell us about it. Sure. No, uh, wonderful. Thanks for having us. Um, so I started Black Mountain back in 2007. Um, and so uh, we're a natural resources company. We've really kind of operated uh, a whole host of kind of the spectrum of kind of oil and gas activities. So upstream ENP operations, we've done frac sand mining, we've done midstream solid or disposal facilities. So really, I think one thing that makes us unique is probably our ability to understand and effectively manage kind of all aspects of kind of the supply chain and, and value chain on what goes into a successful unconventional development. So from that perspective, I feel like we're uniquely qualified to kind of really bring the unconventional playbook to uh, to Australia for Australia's uh, rocks, which as you noted, um, really have massive potential. So uh, quite excited about uh, what that can mean for energy security and affordable energy for Australians. Ashley. And one additional plug for Black Mountain is that as a management team, we've drilled in fracked over 2,700 wells. Um, now, a lot of that is in the U.S., uh, you know, every kind of core U.S. basin. But Further to that, you know, we've also done um, additional international shale exploration. So, you know, we truly systematically understand how to efficiently, safely, and in an, and in an environmentally friendly way um, extract unconventional resources. So we're really excited to do that in Australia. In Australia, the onshore Canning Basin um is not particularly well known. It's um, not as explored as, say, the Surat Basin or the Cooper Basin, um, Aramanga, um, the Otway. What, what, what attracted an American resources company um, your size to, to northern Western Australia? Sure, yeah. It all starts with the quality of the rocks. And so as we really started with a blank slate and coming in as a, a kind of a, a fresh entrant to Australia, if you will, really had the ability to analyze all the basins and pick what had the best kind of risk reward. And so weren't necessarily married to an existing basin where, whereby you know, some operators might take the per perspective, well, that's, that's our roots. That's where we've always operated. So that's just kind of our lot in life. We very much approached it from, we could choose, you know, any of these to be, be involved in and, and ultimately kind of which direction you go. So I would say, um, the canning by far had um, the most potential for us and kind of the best risk reward kind of profile. And so uh, exactly as you referenced, uh, probably lightly explored um, in the traditional sense, um, but ultimately um, 
that can be a good thing and that, um, you know, there's a massive potential to kind of unlock with the right program and team and technology. And so that's the approach we took and that, you know, really the canning is really from an unconventional sense, one of the largest basins in the world, eighth largest um, to be exact. And so really tremendous potential, really the ability to, to supply Australian gas needs for decades to come. And so, uh, what's missing in all that um, is the ability of a of a oil and gas team that un- understands kind of manufacturing mode, and so it it involves uh, really being disciplined on cost controls. And as you drill, you know, large volume of wells, you're um, you're really kind of more like a manufacturer than you are just a rank explorer. And so, um, really having a, a strong fixation on um, supply chain management and kind of how you develop an asset um, is just paramount. And then how we chose this specific acreage within the Canning Basin, um, you know, so we own 100% of EP371, um, which is is in the core Canning Basin area near Fitzroy Crossing, if, if folks aren't familiar with the area. Um, but effectively it overlaps with Nuncumba Station. Um, and there are two different traditional owner groups that live on that specific portion of the acreage, the Unangora and the Guru groups, uh, both of whom are incredibly supportive of the project. So in fact, historically, uh, Buru and Mitsubishi have owned this permit and they did a fantastic job building those relationships. Um, and both of those traditional owner groups were actually involved in lobbying the government to lift the HFS moratorium because they want a better life for themselves and for their kids in the future. So coupling what Rhett outlined with fantastic world-class rock and resource opportunity um, on our acreage, with incredibly supportive local stakeholders. We really feel like if unconventionals are going to get up anywhere internationally, it's going to be here. And those are kind of your two core driving factors. Yeah. And that's a great point, Ashley, that really you can't underemphasize um, or overemphasize enough and that um, really kind of having the support of the TOs and really it's, you know, it really kind of boils down to a matter of self-determination, if you will, that, um, that the people, the local community that would kind of live and breathe with your project every day really supports it from an economic perspective and, and kind of a way of life perspective. 100% that was super critical to us um, to even move forward and wanting to kind of uh, proceed in the first place. So uh, great point to highlight that it's um, absolutely a must uh, to have that. Well, I can't do a lot without uh, traditional owners uh, giving you the tick and social license, really. Um, yep. Absolutely. What I what I will ask is, um, Ashley, you 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 mentioned Buru um, for a, for a moment there, and the, and they still are an operator in the Canning. I think they're one of the only um, oil and gas operators in the in in the Canning still. Um, Absolutely. Uh, obviously, apart from yourselves, but um, what was it that attracted you to this permit? I mean, uh, what they had drilled wells on this permit before, hadn't they? Yes, that's exactly right. So, you know. Black Mountain skill set is very much around being entrepreneurial, being nimble, and being very strong executors. We don't um, consider ourselves to be greenfields explorationists. 
So when we were filtering through various international unconventional opportunities, we wanted acreage that had existing wells, had test results, um, had an existing resource, and was something we could really hang our hat on and say, this fits our skill set. Um, so you're exactly right. Buru is still an operator in the basin. Um, right now, their activities revolve around Ungani, a shallow conventional oil field. Um, and they've been really fantastic in terms of partners in the basin. Um, but, you know, we are really focused on the unconventional dry gas and less on any oil exposure. Um, we very much view natural gas as kind of being the perfect fuel for the energy transition. Um, it's very clean burning, very energy dense. And um, in particularly in Australia, you know, you have such wealth of natural gas resources that, you know, the country should have incredibly cheap power. Um, and it's something that we would love to help fuel and, and bring that because it's certainly been a dynamic that we've seen in the US that increase in shale gas production has just driven uh, an incredible reduction in natural gas pricing. And that spurred manufacturing, it spurred jobs, it spurred cheaper power prices for families and for homes. Um, and that's something that I think any economy would, would really thrive with. Let's talk about the permit in particular and uh, Valhalla, uh, Valhalla as you as you envisage it. Um, what what's the size of this development going to be, and and sort of what what's the model that you're looking at? Yep. So the beauty of unconventional resources is it's very much a question of how many rigs you want to throw at the resource, um, and less a question of does the resource exist? So mm. we have 1.7 million acres, which is enough to produce, you know, 900 TJs of gas um, for, for 40 years. And so really what we're anticipating is by 2027 to ramp up to 200 TJs. Um, and then going forward, you know, right now what we're working on doing is effectively identifying our exact commercialization solution. So where are we we going to sell this gas and we have a few very exciting options um, but depending on which option or options that we choose um, is really going to drive what that production profile looks like so we have everything ranging from 200 up to 900 um, and so again that is the beauty of unconventional resources that you can truly fit that production profile based on how quickly you want to drill and, and how many rigs you want to throw at it. My guests this morning on Energy and Focus is Chief Operating Officer of Black Mountain Energy, Ashley Zumwalt-Forbes, and the CEO of Black Mountain, Rhett Bennett. Um, Rhett, you recently made a pretty big announcement. It's one that uh, could change the global oil and gas industry um, forever if you can pull it off. Um, you're, you've got, you're planning to make your gas development, Valhalla, a net zero carbon project. What does this mean and, and why are you doing it? It comes down to a question of, of relevance. If you want to be relevant and be involved and be a part of kind of the energy mix and solutions going forward, you can't really ignore kind of your impact on on kind of climate and the environment. So it very much became a question of if we're starting with a blank slate, a project that we're going to build from the ground up, um, what's 
what's an exciting way to do that responsibly um, that really kind of becomes a, you know, a beacon or kind of a um, example of kind of responsible um, kind of natural gas development. And so really credit to Ashley um, with really spending a lot of time thinking through um, exactly the process of going about it. But um, yeah, I mean, candidly, I think it'll be the first of many of its kind where, whereby you see, Consumers kind of demanding that level of uh, accountability, if you will, on kind of the the source of supply. And so, while uh, maybe a first of its kind, probably not the last, and that it'll kind of create a kind of a net zero kind of um, designation that you've really kind of seen some of the end users already uh, already kind of demanding other suppliers. Well, how, how how are you going to 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 make it? Um a net zero um, operation. I mean, I mean, how do you how do you limit the the carbon emissions and or, or offset them, or or how are you going to do this? We've got several uh, options that we're kind of working through on um, what ultimately becomes kind of the, the final solution. But what I would say, probably without getting too much uh, into disclosure of the details at this point, but um, oil and gas guys are very good at um, at kind of handling, you know, kind of gases and volumes, if we will. So um, really been quite keen on a lot of the progressions that have developed um, kind of involving the subsurface. Um, Now, certainly there's some uh, other kind of traditional methods um, of carbon offsets that we've definitely got on the table evaluating as well. But uh, we think there's exciting technology emerging that that really kind of makes it kind of a a long-term solution. I mean, the beauty of of all of this is that we are starting from the ground up. So we can be very intentional around how exactly we're designing this project. So not only are we, of course, trying to maximize returns because, you know, nobody's doing this um, just uh, for their health. But, you know, um, secondly, we are trying to minimize carbon exposure. And so if you build that in from day one, um, as you're designing your facilities, as you're designing your wells, um, it it really does make this make um, having a carbon neutral um, end solution much more logical and, and, and much more straightforward. So it will be two-pronged around reducing as much as possible the extraction and then secondly offsetting um, the scope one and scope two emissions. Um, I guess the third thing to mention here is that our gas has very low CO2 composition. So it's actually the lowest CO2 composition uh, of any kind of undeveloped reservoir in Australia currently. And, and so, that, I get, oh, sorry, that, go ahead. That, that's huge when you consider, I mean, um, you have to tell me how much is how or what the concentration is first, but yep. you look at projects like Barossa, um, Gorgon, they're actually quite high in CO2. What is your prospect like? So ours ranges between one and 2%. 
Um, and so again, these are very low percentages, low concentrations. Um, and it's something that, you know, my background is petroleum engineering and petroleum engineers are trained to be able to deplete reservoirs of gases and of liquids. So re-injecting those gases and those liquids, again, it's the reverse of engineering that we're used to, but it's certainly within our reach from a technology perspective. So we're excited to deploy it. Well, let's take a look at the market now. Um, what would this project mean for gas exports? Would it be attractive to international uh, consumers like um, uh, our biggest customer, Japan, or, or would it mean uh, LNG would be more expensive? Um, could you put that into context for us? Absolutely. So, you know, I guess all of this begs the question of like, why are y'all doing this? Mm. Why are you doing that zero natural gas? Like no one asked you to do this. The answer is people are asking, um, you know, it's not at a scream at this stage, but the largest customers of Australian LNG are saying, you know, we, we want to be net zero from, from a country standpoint. And so Australia, being the world's largest LNG exporter, needs to respond to this challenge. It's, it's almost an existential crisis for the Australian economy. Mm. And so, you know, we feel very strongly that offsetting scope one and scope two at, for the upstream perspective will feed very well into making net zero LNG cargos. Um, and we do think that it's going to be an extremely differentiated project, um, particularly if you look at the global landscape of LNG. And certainly there's no shortage of global LNG projects if you consider what's happening in, in Qatar and yeah. also what's happening here in Australia. But if you're able to make that quality jump and that low carbon jump, you know, it is something that companies should take very seriously and really focus on um, because A, you can command a premium, but B, you know, it, it ensures the continued existence of your industry. Yeah. And, and we've seen it. If you're not forward looking enough, um, you know, kind of uh, life has a way of leaving you behind. And so you've yeah. seen, look, the world moved on from coal. It wasn't because the world ran out of coal. It's because mm -hmm. it had cheaper and cleaner solutions. And so natural gas, um, while uh, excellent on um, the price front, I mean, one of the lowest sources of, uh, of energy and heat for consumers and industry globally Um already does have an advantage over coal and that it's half of the emissions of coal. But really, if you want to keep pace and keep a relevance uh, against a new group of peers, which might be kind of your renewable base, um, you have to take it seriously and be willing to kind of challenge yourself to, to compete on that um, playing field as well. And so really uh, with our approach here, it's to continue to kind of, you know, carry the banner and, and the leadership of really low cost energy um, that's being really responsibly developed that um, that ultimately, you know, I think there's a, a, a strong um, the likelihood that you'll, you'll have a price premium for really responsibly sourced kind of natural gas. And so if you can show that all the way through to the consumer, uh, it ultimately can be a net benefit um, more so than, you know, kind of a cost base. 
Absolutely. We've talked about the need for uh, low-carbon or carbon-free LNG cargoes. Uh, That's for export. Let's take a look at the domestic market now. Um, Western Australia and the federal government have both been considering gas market interventions. Uh, Australia has a domestic gas uh, shortfall expected from around 2023-2025. What would this project do in shoring up Australia's uh, domestic gas supply? You know, currently Western Australia and and Eastern Australia aren't connected from a gas market perspective. And if you really take a critical lens at at where that shortfall is occurring, it's mostly in Eastern Australia. Uh, That being said, Western Australia has fantastic industry. So tremendous amounts of mining. and gas demand related to that. And then also just this phenomenal potential around um, hydrogen production and and, uh, methanol production and urea production. And it's something that, you know, from from a sales standpoint, these are all options that we're certainly looking at from a domestic standpoint. Um, But it is hard to ignore that shortfall that's kind of looming in the in the eastern states. Um, And, you know, I I guess my my only comment is, it seems odd and against kind of um, normal market conditions that the best solution for getting gas into the eastern states would be importing LNG cargoes from the west. Um, not only is that a higher carbon emission um, way of, of getting gas over there, but it's more expensive. Um, and so, you know, uh, I, I certainly think there's probably a more intuitive method that um, might require some um, cooperation across states and, and maybe coordinated at the federal level. But Australia has tremendous gas resources, and I think there's no reason that there shouldn't be readily available and very affordable power um, across the across the country. Yeah, and really, given the size of Valhalla and the amount of gas it can produce, I mean, frankly, it would it would swamp Western Australia gas markets to really <laughs> kind of unleash on just that market. And so, I think really from a from a high level, you can start with the premise that more gas being produced within Australia. They can displace and make gas kind of move more efficiently within the country, uh, whether it's through an east-west pipeline or you know through domestic markets. Um, some of that, as actually referenced, is is really kind of um, questions that the government and um, various states kind of have to work through. But um, in general, uh, great for traditional owners, great for Western Australia, and ultimately, we think all of Australia benefits from it. Absolutely, the West East pipeline has been. Um, a piece of infrastructure that you know has been has been dreamed about for a very long period of time. Um, we're suddenly building these sort of import term or looking to build import terminals, um, as you mentioned, Ashley, um, across the east coast to to uh, to meet demand. Um, would do you think that a west coast to east coast uh, gas pipeline is is needed? Look, I certainly think it's a cheaper and lower carbon emission way of getting gas over to the east coast. Um, our project does not require that to happen. So we're actually evaluating, you know, multiple different commercialization options in parallel. And it's been incredibly assuring to see how many options actually are available to us. Um, certainly it needs midstream investment, but this is a tremendous resource. It's technically a super giant gas resource. 
Um, and, you know, there just aren't a, a, a large number of those available in kind of tier one jurisdictions, particularly with our net zero carbon designation and our track record of operational excellence. So we feel strongly that we'll be able to commercialize this asset with or without a Westies pipeline. Um, you know, it, it is something that I think is just intuitive from a market standpoint <laughs> that we're not hanging our hat on it. Yeah, I think that's right. We've got four uh, commercial options that right now grade higher than that. And that's just solely because it doesn't exist today. Um, do we think it's logical and ultimately a net benefit probably for, you know, not only all of Australia, but WA too, just from a, a generation standpoint. Sure. I think it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's further down the priority list just because it doesn't exist, but would we like to see it? I, I think we would say yes, but um, again, kind of back to that's not really within our realm of control. So we're looking at the other commercialization options uh, that are more tangible today. Exactly. Well, while we're, while we're, we're speaking about uh, th those interventions that we were talking about a, a couple of moments ago, there was a report released uh, just, well, very very recently by the Australian-based consultancy Energy Quest. Um, it poured cold water, if you like, on the idea of a gas reservation policy, um, and it found that it might actually scare off investment when comparing it to 20 other uh, major gas-producing countries. Do, do you agree with that sentiment? Look, we live in Texas, so we certainly believe in free markets. Yeah. Um, and and you know, I I personally am a firm believer that the market is always right. Um, so yeah, no, I I'd, I'd certainly back the Energy Quest report. I'd agree with that. I mean, I think markets left to their own devices kind of look low prices, cure low prices, high prices, cure high prices, and so ultimately you kind of go through cycles, but. Um, price signals will stimulate demand and vice versa. And so um, traditionally that's probably been a more efficient method of regulating markets than um, a lot of intervention. But, um, you know, again, that's, that's our perspective. I guess the last uh, question I, I have for you is uh, about what the Valhalla project will mean for the Australian oil and gas sector. I mean, um, there's obviously huge benefits. You talk about this mega project and it's not offshore, it's onshore. Um, onshore, yes. So, yeah, that, that obviously makes a huge difference. Um, but one of the huge benefits will be for, for manufacturers, large uh, scale commercial users of uh, gas in the northern region of Western Australia um, or in the northern region in general. Um, but one of the problems we have here in WA is that we don't actually have a permit, a permanent drilling rig based here. Um, but you'd be looking to bring in one yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, certainly, you know, there, there is the factor of, of having a dedicated drilling rig and dedicated services in Western Australia. But I think further to that, you know, there's significant socioeconomic uplift within the region. Um, you know, Australia just has tremendous um, reserves on the both both the mining and the oil and gas side but as you alluded you know for the most part oil and gas activity is offshore so you don't get those regional jobs and that investment in local communities um, and that's something that will absolutely transform you know the the quality of life um, in in the region and um, we'll also create around 2,000 jobs um, in the area generate about 2.9 billion 
in royalties, GST, and payroll taxes, and then also be throwing our shoulder into you know, the, the energy transition with our net zero natural gas. So I think if you purely look at the numbers, you know, our project makes tangible sense and has incredible benefits for both the, the, the regional, you know, local community, Western Australia and Australia as a whole. Yeah, I mean, it, it'll, um, without a doubt, improve and change the lives of RTOs just, just permanently and the tra- trajectory that they were on um, previously versus kind of with this amount of economic activity, just total game changer uh, for the region. And so a lot to get excited about there. And I would say, you know, in regards to Western Australia and Australia as a whole, its potential to be kind of an energy producer um, is you know, multiples higher than what exists today. And so really what it's been missing in our perspective, and that was part of our thesis when we analyzed coming over there, um, really kind of the, you know, the infrastructure and kind of the kind of private entrepreneurial kind of public or, you know, independent company that exists in the U.S. to really kind of prosecute what's modern oil and gas, which is in essence horizontal drilling and fracking as well. And, and really, um, to kind of help um, kind of remove the the negative connotations that um, some people kind of have placed upon that part of the industry, which, um, you know, are, uh, are probably unwarranted. Um, it's been really demonstrated in the U.S. to be just a, a magnificent value creator and, and very low environmental impact, much lower than traditional and gas drilling, which occupied 20 to 40 acres just uh, continuously to develop. Now you're talking about one well pad, one two to five acre well pad for every 1200 acres. And so just dramatic, dramatically small footprint um, to develop really, uh, really kind of economic, powerful resource. Um, and then just, you know, we've seen it as well on, um, on the development side in the U.S. We've, you know, we're here in Fort Worth and we've seen several thousand uh, horizontal wells get drilled and fracked. Um, underneath the city. And in fact, um, you know, our house um, that myself and my wife live in is in an oil and gas unit with a horizontal frack well underneath it. Um, and so from afar, it, I think it's it's um, probably something that gets um, kind of painted with a, with a bad brush. But really, when you understand the science and you've taken the time to educate yourself on it, um, it's really been a wonderful kind of um, evolution of science and, and what we've been able to do. Uh, Dunlock kind of tighter rock. Um, And so from that respect, I think it's totally going to be a catalyst for Western Australia to really kind of develop its own unconventional kind of oil and gas industry um, and all the related kind of service and jobs that that are kind of required to support that um, just will will really kind of be kind of magnificent to watch. And um, yeah, would put it on par with kind of the the iron ore industry. I think it's going to be a wonderful thing. So what is next? Ashley, give me the next few steps for Black Mountain. Absolutely. So right now is all about regulatory approvals. So going through EPA, Demers and JITSE approvals currently. Um, in parallel, we're reanalyzing all of the data that came from the Buru and Mitsubishi um, drilling and HFS program several years ago. Um, what we've identified is there are actually multiple horizons of pay, and we think we'd actually like to target a different horizon than what was originally targeted um, in, in the prior campaign. 
Next step from an operations standpoint will be an extensive 3D seismic program and then get to drill in. Um, so that, that's what it's all about. You know, we're very operational and, and are really chomping at the bit to get out there and get some new results. Yeah, and I think certainly, obviously, um, as you can recognize with kind of the approach we've taken with net zero natural gas, um, you know, frankly, if we couldn't go develop it responsibly, uh, we wouldn't go do it. And so we're super excited about kind of what a demonstration case it can be for um, economic uplift for an area while also balancing just being great stewards of the environment. Absolutely. We are out of time. Rhett, thank you for joining me. Ashley, thank you for joining me today. Thanks so much for having us. Rhett Bennett is the CEO of Black Mountain Energy and Ashley Zumwalt-Forbes is the Chief Commercial Officer. If you're interested in finding out more about the Valhalla Project, you can find Black Mountain online, blackmountainoilandgas.com. To follow the story, hit the subscribe button and give us a like. Energy in Focus is our regular podcast at Energy News. You can find news stories on operations, markets, policy and law across the oil and gas industry and renewables sector at energynewsbulletin.net. This podcast was brought to you by Aspermont Media.